good to see you all this morning. I thought I would begin this morning uh, with sharing a, a news article that a friend shared with me uh, just recently, and it says, uh, it says this. This comes from Jerusalem in Israel. This is hot off the press, and the article says this, uh, live from Jerusalem. On the eve of the annual celebration of the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the one million inhabitants of this city were shocked by the announcement that a body as identified as that of Jesus was found in a long-neglected tomb just outside the boundary of the city. Rumors have been circulating last week that a very important discovery was about to be announced. The news, however, far outstrips our wildest guesses. The initial reaction of Christians here and around the world has been one of astonishment, bewilderment, and defensive disbelief. We will have to wait and see just what the effect this discovery will have on a 2,000-year-old religion. To the mind of this unbelieving writer appears that Christianity will have to take its place on the same level as of the other world religions. No longer can its followers claim that its founder is alive. Evidently, a 2,000-year-old lie has come to an end. Just to be clear, this is fake news. Everybody say fake news. And the reason why I share this story with you this morning or this uh, artificial uh, news story with you is because many people believe that Jesus really did not come outside of the tomb. Because truly, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, if the event of Jesus after three days of dying on a cross did not come out from the tomb, we would be gathered here this morning for just no reason at all. In fact, it would have been so much better for you to do something else today than to come and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is all foolishness. This all makes no sense whatsoever if Jesus did not raise, rise from the grave. The Apostle Paul said it this way, We of all people are most miserable if we believe in something that did not actually happen. The validity of our entire Christian faith hangs on this single piece of story, this line that Jesus actually came out of the grave, risen from the dead. The resurrection changes everything for followers of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, I recognize uh, that there are skeptics. Many people, maybe even some of you here this morning, don't raise your hand. But maybe you came this morning as a skeptic. You're like, eh, I don't know. I, I like that newspaper article at the beginning. Some of you were like leaning in when I was reading that, that declaration that it's all a lie, that it's all a farce. And I understand why many people are skeptical, and maybe you're skeptical, and, and maybe you've got good reasons for being skeptical. And so this morning, I thought we would spend a little bit of time kind of juxtaposing, kind of comparing if Jesus rose or if he did not. And so the picture, the image I want to give you this morning is the enclosed tomb, that there are stone, the stone is still in front of the tomb. Maybe that's the way you came this morning, and maybe that's the way you think about Easter resurrection is, what's all the noise about? He's still in the tomb. 
So I'm calling this sermon Three Stones or Three Objections uh, to the Resurrection. Maybe three barriers, three reasons that I, this is not scientific, but three different reasons or barriers why I hear people don't believe in Jesus, uh, that he actually rose from the grave. Now, I asked our altar guild if they could bring in uh, three large stones. Uh, each of the stones, the stone in front of the tomb in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, it's about somewhere between two and 4,000 pounds. And our altar girl said, yeah, we probably can't get them through the door. But uh, so I found three stones uh, in front of my house this morning that I want to share with you. So we're going to look at three stones, three barriers, three objections uh, to why um, it's so hard to believe in the resurrection. And what I'm going to do this morning is kind of pick up where we left off at the beginning of the service in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 24. So the ladies went... And they witnessed the resurrection, and they went and told the guys. And the guys are like, this is crazy talk. This is nuts, what you're saying. But Peter, he ran and went and saw the empty tomb. Now, you have to understand this story that I'm going to pick up, and sometimes we call this the road to Emmaus. What's going on in the minds and the hearts and the lives of the disciples most people still had not yet experienced the resurrection of Jesus. It was just a handful of people. It's now Sunday afternoon. And there's rumors that Jesus had risen from the grave, that at least the tomb was empty, and they're trying to figure out what is going on. Because they're thinking back to Friday. Remember it was Friday when Jesus was arrested. He was tortured. He was put on trial. He was convicted, and they hung him on a cross. And it was gruesome, and it was bloody. And their Messiah, their rabbi, the one they thought was going to come and rescue them, the one who was going to save them from Roman oppression, he was gone. And the disciples are thinking to themselves, we just spent three years following this guy. We gave our lives to him. And this past week, just it was a few days ago, we were waving palm branches. The crowds were waving palm branches, saying, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there was so much excitement and joy, and, and people are so expectant that the, the Messiah is actually going to come and rescue us. But then they're like, oh, but Friday. Friday was a bad day. Friday was a day that all of our hopes were dashed. And so this is kind of the setup for what's going on with these guys walking along the road to Emmaus. Their dreams have been shattered. So Luke's going to pick it up here. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked alongside them. And as they talked, they discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. Now, the first thing that kind of jumped out for me in this story 
is that it's resurrection day. It's Sunday. And you would have thought that the disciples would have stayed in Jerusalem because there was a lot going on in Jerusalem. But oh no, they're leaving. They're walking away from Jerusalem towards the town of Emmaus. I find it just fascinating that here's these guys who spent all this time with Jesus. There's rumors that he's risen from the grave, and yet they walk away. And I have to tell you that I see this so often in our culture, in our society today. People aren't really looking for the risen Christ. The disciples weren't. They were done. They're like, ah, we're out of here. Let's just go home. They weren't looking for Jesus. They weren't looking for the resurrected Christ. And as I talk to people in our culture and our society, I think that really kind of paints a picture of who we are as a society, even as a nation, maybe even globally. People are not looking for Jesus, even though they say they might be looking for Jesus. So sometimes I'll talk to people who are, you know, young, younger people, maybe high school, college. Hey, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about going to church. Now I'm busy. I got stuff to do. Really? Yeah, papers, homework assignments, essays. I'm so busy with, with high school or college or graduate school. I don't have time for Jesus. They're walking to Emmaus. Or maybe after they've graduated from school and they're out in the work world. This is what else I hear from people who are out in the work world. Hey, let's talk about Jesus and, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the church. I'm busy. Work has got me down. I am covered up with work. I don't have time for Jesus. I don't have time for the church. I don't have time to consider who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Or a couple of years go along and, and you got some kids Hey, let's talk about Jesus. No, we're busy with sports. We don't have time to go to church. Lots of activities. Go, 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 go. We're not looking for Jesus. We're busy. Then after the kids grow up, hey, let's talk about Jesus. No, busy. Got some traveling to do. Yard work. Too much going on in my life. And it continues on. And sometimes I talk to even retired people and they tell me, I'm busier more than ever. I'm like, really? Too busy for Jesus. I'm just busy going, going, going. People aren't looking for Jesus. I find it fascinating how much the Bible continues to paint a picture for our world today. And sometimes I'll come up to some of you and I'll say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. And you'll probably notice you don't get a whole lot of empathy from me. Because as you're telling me how busy you are, I'm thinking of Corey Ten Boom. And when she once wrote, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. So this is what's going on with these disciples, these guys. They're busy, busy, busy. They are not looking for Jesus. And it says in Luke 24, 16, they were kept from recognizing him. No wonder they were kept from recognizing him. They weren't looking for him. That's not even one of my stones. That was just a little bonus or maybe a little rant I wanted to share with you this morning. 
So Jesus walks up to these guys. He says, hey, what you guys talking about? They're like, are you kidding me? Have you been living under a rock? All the events have been going on here in Jerusalem the past few days. How can you not know what we're talking about? Duh. We're talking about Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth. They're saying he rose from the grave, but I don't know. It was horrible. We thought he was going to be the Messiah. We don't know what's going on. Notice how Cleopas describes Jesus when he says, who was Jesus? Who was this guy you're talking about? He says he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Isn't that interesting? So the first rock or the first barrier that I hear from so many people is Jesus doesn't meet me on my terms. He doesn't meet me with my expectations, who I think Jesus is. Even Cleopas, one of the disciples, says this is who he was. He was a prophet. He was a wise teacher. And I hear this all the time. People describe Jesus as a prophet or a wise teacher. This is not how Jesus described himself. I think back to when Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples a, a little time ago. They're up near Caesarea Philippi, and they're having this conversation, and Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, who do people say I am? And they throw out all sorts of answers. And Peter, who always speaks, and he always speaks often and loud, and he's a little bit obnoxious. He's like, I know who you are. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter, but let's keep it quiet for now. Jesus was a wise prophet. He was a wise teacher. He did many miracles, but many people, many prophets in the Old Testament, they did lots of neat tricks. But Jesus says, oh no, this is who I am. I am actually the Son of God. And so when we come to Jesus and we put up this barrier because I think we don't fully understand who Jesus is. He wasn't just a wise teacher or a guy who could do some magic tricks. He was God by his own words. And so often we define Jesus on our own terms. And I think the example that comes to my mind is Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, as many of you know, was the third president of the United States. Thomas Jefferson was a church guy. He loved to go to church. He loved to read the Bible. He loved to sing the hymns of the church. He loved to do all the church stuff. And Thomas Jefferson loved to study the teachings of Jesus. The only problem Thomas Jefferson had with Jesus was the miracles. He didn't like them. He didn't like that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And so what Thomas Jefferson did is he literally got out a scissors or maybe it was an exacto knife of some sort and he cut up the Bible, getting rid of all the miracles, all the, the things that Jesus did that were supernatural. He says, I love the moral teachings, but let's just get rid of all the rest of it. This is called the Jefferson Bible. That is a real thing. And I think that image, that story so perfectly reflects how many of us, we put up a barrier and we say, ah, I like the moral teachings of Jesus. Get rid of the miracles. Get rid of the resurrection. Ah, you know how Jefferson's Bible ends? That on that day, they rolled a stone in front of the tomb 
and they walked away. Boom, that's it. Jesus was deader than a doornail. Game over. Let's move on. So we've got this barrier, this stone, this rock that says, I want Jesus on my terms. That's how these disciples wanted it. Let's continue. The chief priests of our rulers handed Jesus over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. The text tells us, story tells us, the disciples tell us, we had hoped. Ah, oh, we had so many hopes and expectations of who Jesus was. And so the second stone that I hear from so many people today is I'm disappointed. My disappointments don't allow me to experience the resurrected Christ. Once upon a time, I believed in Jesus. Once upon a time, I went to church. Maybe that's your story. You're here today. I used to believe Jesus. I used to follow Jesus. But I've been disappointed along the way. There was a pastor, somebody from church, and they disappointed me. Maybe personal circumstances, hopes dashed. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. When the stone covered the tomb, that stone covered their hopes and dreams. They had big expectations that Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, was going to come in and rescue them. He was going to save them, get rid of their political oppressors, Rome. And Jesus says, ah, it's not what exactly what I was planning on doing. I think about disappointments in your life, in my life. I've had some. As I think about many disappointments and how we experience these disappointments, these barriers to, to God in our lives. I think back to a guy by the name of Bill. Bill and I went to college together. Bill and I were actually in a Bible study together, and Bill was one of those guys that he was always trying um, to share Jesus with other people on campus or out in the community. And after graduation, Bill married a fine Christian woman, woman and, and they had a great life together, and then they had some children together, and, and Bill was just, he was a Jesus follower. He was on fire for Jesus. And then one day, Bill got fired from his job. He was trying to make sense of it. He didn't see it coming, and he was so disappointed and then Bill tried to get another job. He thought, oh, this shouldn't be too rough. And he couldn't get another job, and he couldn't get another job. And this went on for a while. And Bill became disillusioned with God. For many, many years, Bill struggled. He said, ah, the disappointment. I remember having a conversation with one, Bill one time, and he said, you know, Brian, why is it that when things are going great in my life, when things are going great in anybody's life, we give God all the praise, right? God is awesome. But when something happens in our lives, 
We don't blame it on God, right? We just kind of ignore it. We kind of just brush over it. We just kind of like, ah, you know. Bill's like, come on, Brian. If we're going to give God glory and praise for the good things in our lives, we need to blame God also for when the bad things happen. Disappointments. We've all got them, right? I've got my own for sure. My life has not been what I thought it was going to be back when I was a young person, when I was a college student. Along the way, I've experienced many disappointments, and I know that you have too. And so this morning, I want to share with you um, a guy by the name of William Kent Kruger. He wrote a book called Ordinary Grace that I think just really speaks into this idea of disappointments. This is just really good theology. He says, God never promised us an easy life. He never promised that he wouldn't su- we wouldn't suffer, that we wouldn't feel despair and loneliness and confusion and desperation. What he did promise was that in our suffering, he would, we would never be alone. And though we may sometimes make ourselves blind and deaf to his presence, he is beside us and all around us and within us. We are never separated from his love. And I think for me, that's been really helpful through the years to be reminded that even in the midst of our disappointments, Jesus said, you're going to go through hardships. You're going to go through hard times. But know that I'm going to be with you through the hard times. So we object to the resurrection because we want to put Jesus on my terms. We object to the resurrection because of personal disappointments in our life. Let's keep going. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, I would have loved to have been at that Bible study. Jesus says, hey, let me, wouldn't you like to go to a Bible study that Jesus is leading? He's like, hey, let me tell you about the Old Testament beginning with the very beginning with Abraham and how all the Old Testaments points forward to the Messiah. The entire Old Testament points toward me. This is what Jesus is saying is he's just like, all right, break open your Bibles, guys. We're going to have a Bible study. I'm like, ah, that would be an awesome Bible study. He says, guys, It was necessary, it was essential that the Messiah, the Son of God, must die. And so the third stone or expectation this morning is our small expectations. We oftentimes think too little of God. We just want all the good stuff of God. And what Jesus says is there's so much more and I've got so much bigger plans for you. See, there there are small expectations of those disciples on that day is we just want you to get rid of the Romans. 
Just get rid of the bad guys and usher in the new golden era. Put David back on the throne, the Messiah, the eternal king, and it's all going to be good. And Jesus says, that's not how it's going to work. I'm not just about your political future. I am about your spiritual future. You're not going to just be freed from political uh, uh, slavery. I want to free you from spiritually so that for all of eternity, you can walk around regardless of who's on the throne. You can hold your head and say, I am free because of what Jesus has done for me. They were thinking in such small terms, in the immediate. Jesus, we just wanted you to do this thing real quickly. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This isn't about a short-term fix. This is about long-term. This is about eternity. You just want to feel good, and I want you to experience joy and peace for all eternity. You're thinking way too small, guys. Because you're thinking small, I want to just open up your eyes. And it even says he, he rebukes them. Right? He says, hey, guys, you're foolish. And oftentimes, don't we think that when people uh, talk about foolish people, it's the Christians who are foolish? I love how Jesus rebukes them and says, guys, you're so foolish. You completely missed it. what my coming is all about. I have come so that you can be free. And I just want to ask maybe some of you skeptics here this morning or online, I wonder if your expectations for Jesus and who he is are maybe too small. Are you just looking for the, the short-term fix, the feel-good moment? Or are you open to the possibility that God has something so much bigger for you? You might be thinking, oh, I just want to get that job. And God, I think, is thinking, hey, I want you to experience purpose and meaning in your day life, your day job. You might be thinking, oh, I just, I want to get, be within that relationship. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have a long-term partnership centered and grounded in my, uh, in, in, in my life with you. You might be thinking, skeptics, oh, I just, I need, I need some money. I just got to, you know, get, the, get some more money for security. And Jesus says, oh, no, I got better plans than just money. I want you to have eternal peace, joy. I want so much more for you. And I'll just say, you know, even for me and I think for all of us, we oftentimes put God in a box and we think God is too small. And he says, no, I've got something so much bigger for you. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us while he was talk talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those uh, with them assembled together saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what happened on the way and how Jesus uh, was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I love how this story on the road to Emmaus, Jesus breaks the bread and all of a sudden it's just like their eyes are opened and they see Jesus for the first time. I mean, I think we can all agree this is a miracle. 
I think the truth is, anytime someone casts aside a stone, a barrier in their life of why they can't follow and believe in Jesus, it's a miracle. I think it's always the work of God to open our eyes to see this miracle. So they run back to Jerusalem. They do a, they do a U-turn. Remember, they're almost to Emmaus. They, they turn around, they race back to Jerusalem like, guys, it's true. We saw the resurrected Christ. It's a miracle. The tomb is empty. There's this joy, this peace, and this overwhelming sense of what God is up to in their lives and in the world. And so those of you who are Jesus followers, sometimes I'll ask you, hey, tell me about your faith. And some of you will say, I just believe. That's awesome. And why do you believe? I don't know. I just believe. And I think the reason why you believe is because God has given you that gift of faith. He has simply opened your eyes. You may not even have words to be able to articulate it, but he has given you that faith. And this is what he's doing for these disciples on that day. So what's the difference between one who's got these barriers, these rocks, these stones in their life, and one who believes? It's that miracle of Jesus but I think there's a little detail in the story that I read just a few moments ago that I think is really the key, the linchpin to really understanding what's going on. It's verse 29. The disciples look at Jesus and say, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. These words, stay with us. The disciples had all these doubts. They still didn't know. They still didn't understand. And yet they had an openness to Jesus, to experiencing him. And I think this is the key for you and for me. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to know everything about Jesus. We can even have some of these rocks up going, I don't know. They didn't know. But when we just say to Jesus, hey, stay with me, I have so many questions. I have so many doubts. There's so many things I just don't get. I've never read the Bible. I don't even, the Bible is so confusing to me. But when we just pray that prayer, Jesus, stay with me. I think in that moment, Jesus can perform a miracle. And for those of you who've been following Jesus a long time, I think that's our prayer too. Jesus, just stay with me. Jesus, just stay with me. Tomorrow when I get up, Jesus, just stay with me. And I think when all of us pray that prayer, God can roll back the stones of doubt and wonder in our lives. And we might just declare, Jesus is risen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a peculiar story this is. And yet at the same time, God, in the midst of all those barriers, all those stones, many of those objections that still live today, God, you invite us to just pray those words, stay with us. Stay with me. So God, I want to pray for any skeptics this morning. 
just ask, Lord, that you might soften their hearts. Consider that conversation with Jesus. Stay with me. God, I don't understand. God, I don't believe. God, I don't know. But I invite you to stay with me. That I might experience somehow, some way in my life, just as the disciples did, the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, in your mercy, 